Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Stories. To the end of the show, I'm joined with Jerry Dugan as we talk about what it's like for him to take on a podcast all by himself, what it's like to have ADHD, and deal with his daughter who has ADHD as well, and much more about his life. So sit back, relax, and grab your favorite beverage, and I'll see you on the other side. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Aspera Studios Presents Stories. Today on the show, I'm joined with Jerry Dugan. Welcome to the show, Jerry. Hey, thanks, Reed, for having me here. And um, I'm the guy who went, all right. So if you heard that in the intro, I apologize. We dove right in. <laughs> all right. So why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? All right. So in 1972, my parents met in a country called Thailand. And they, no kidding, that's too far back. Um, yeah, I grew up an army brat. So yeah, my dad was in the army. He was a military policeman. Uh, my mom is from Thailand. I got a younger brother. And I'm only bringing that up because um, being an army brat meant I got to move around a lot as a kid. Every six months, I had a new set of friends because of the way the military is. Every two to three years, I had a new home in a new country or a new state. Um, so my life for me was normal in terms of uh, it changes all the time and there's always new people to meet, new places to see and live. And, and I loved it. Uh, you know, my parents did you know, wind up getting divorced. Uh, that ties back into just who I am and why I do what I do. Uh, but you fast forward to today. Uh, I have a podcast called Beyond the Rut, just published a book called Beyond the Rut, Create a Life Worth Living in Your Faith, Family, and Career. And I launched a business that does leadership training and public speaking to help motivate people to live their best lives, to lead authentically, and uh, lead in a way that I refer to as servant leadership. Um, somewhere in there, I managed to find a woman uh, who married me, and we've been together. We're on year number 22 now. Uh, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how she's put up with me for 22 years, but she finds me entertaining at least. And uh, <laughs> and it, it's probably because I probably do have ADHD. Uh, my daughter, she's 19. Uh, about three years ago, she got screened for it, and um, the, the physician even asked her if – uh, I think she had something like seven of the nine indicators. I think that's what they said. Um, so she definitely had it. And he asked if she wanted to explore medication. And um, she probably said, what? No, this is my superpower. <laughs> like she embraced it and realized this is why she's quirky. And um, and, and then so the, the physician also asked my wife and my daughter at the time. So this typically is passed from family member to family member. It usually runs in the family. Is there anybody else in the family who is who also has it and has been diagnosed with it? And they're like, no, no one's been diagnosed with it. But, um, oh, wait a second. She is exactly like her dad. And then my daughter was like, no, he's exactly like me. <laughs> Just like without hesitation said it. I'm like, that's my girl. <laughs> so, uh, so it was recommended I go and get screened for it. It's been three years. I keep forgetting to go do it. Um, but being aware of it and the possibility of it has made so many things in my life click. Uh, and the question that we always ask in my family is, how the heck do I even get anything done? I think is the, the miracle question they keep asking. And uh, so that's me. Uh, 
Yeah, professional uh, leadership development guy. Uh, yeah, served in the military somewhere at some point. Uh, oh, oh, wow, two decades ago. I'm getting old, dude. Um, but you know, it turns out military life was ideal for somebody with ADHD as well because you're you're constantly moving on to other things. You see, you know, you see more of the battlefield in a sense. And so, yeah. yeah. So that's me in a nutshell, sort of. So anyways, what is it like running a podcast by yourself? I mean, a lot for, for all of you out there who don't know, Jerry got handed his podcast out of nowhere because he was teaming up with another person and the guy just took off. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, so, he pod faded without me. <laughs> so what's it like running this podcast all on your own? Oh, man. I had a previous podcast that I ran solo with my family. Uh, well, my family were the guests recurring, and then I was the guy operating it. But that was a very low-quality, low-budget operation. Taking over Beyond the Rut and trying to give it a professional look and feel uh, to, to really provide the content like the big dogs who've got venture capital, um, it, it's a challenge in terms of not so much creating the content – but creating and delivering the content on a schedule that the regular world expects. So for me, I like to batch record. So I, I interview my guests on the first Saturday of the month. Uh, they're all lined up on one day, and I get to talk to five new people, new friends, have these great conversations. I come out of there on cloud nine. The extroverted part of me is happy. Uh, my wife looks at me and says, man, I, I could never do that because she's the introvert in the family. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm the extrovert in the family. Everybody else is introverted. Um, and so that part's easy. It's the, okay, now I got to slow down and I got to edit the audio now. Um, now I got to write show notes. Now I got to create marketing. And, and so that part becomes tedious for me. Like once I finally share it on social media and share, you know, hit the share button with my email, that feels good. And the interactions feel good with people. Uh, but the content creating part, like when I have to actually sit down and consciously and intentionally think about, okay, what's, what was this conversation even about? Okay, great. How do I title it? How do I write up the show notes? How do I write up the marketing so that it hooks people? And there there are folks out there that love that kind of thing. For me, it gets to be tedious and it's like, okay. So that for me has been the biggest challenge. And, and um, what I try to do is um, being more aware that I have moments of hyper-focus. Um, I, I try to ride, ride that wave. So I, I let my wife know, like, I'm, I'm going to attempt to batch edit today. And she's like, all right, good luck. And she gives a little chuckle. And and I'll go in at like 9 a.m. And I'm like, if if I pull it off, it's 7 p.m. My wife has to tap me on the shoulder. And I've edited three or four episodes, prepped the uh, show notes, and got it all ready. So that's ideally if I've tapped into that moment of hyper-focus. Uh, so it's like riding a wave in a sense for me. But if I don't tap into that moment of hyper-focus or I can't get one to happen, uh, what winds up happening is by 4 o'clock, I'm done. I've had 30 tabs on my browser open. <laughs> I've talked to seven people. had nothing to do with the podcast. Um, I've learned a new skill or feature on a tool like Canva. And, and none of the three episodes or four episodes I intended to edit got done. And, and so... Uh, as a solo artist or creator and, and somebody who probably is working with ADHD, that's kind of how it is for me. And yeah, so I know, something gets out yeah, every day. Yeah, I know that feeling. I mean, 
I'll do like a show and then I'll have this mental note in my head like, okay, now you got to edit it. We're going to edit this tomorrow, both the audio and the video. And it will slip by me. And then it happened one day. I had one of my guests email me back and go, hey, Reed, where's the show? Where's our show? I went through your website. And I can't find it. And I go, oh, it's got to be there. So I, I go into my, I go into my website. I'm scrolling for all my shows. I'm like, oh crap, I didn't <laughs> edit it at all. I'm like, hang on a second. I need to edit it. I'll throw it up. I'll give you the link once it's edit done. It'll be up right away. So I, I quickly rush into my editing. And once I get into my editing, I'm in like in a zone, and I just start editing and listening. And I'm like, okay, done, done. Throw it up. Boom. And then I copy the links and I send it off. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. I totally slipped on this one. She's like, hey, it's no problem. As long as the show's up there so I can pass it out to everyone I know. Yeah. It, you know, you lose track of what day it is. I'm like, wait, today's Monday? Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have that a lot, though, because I purposely put my shows up on Wednesday. And a Wednesday will go by and it'll be like, what day is today? Today's Thursday. Oh, shit. I was supposed to have a show up yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And and for me, um, at some point, I don't know when I adopted it, but uh, no, it was, I don't know what year I adopted it, but at some point I read a book called The Miracle Morning uh, by Hal Elrod. And it talks about like savers as this, like these six things that he does every morning. And I gave it a shot and I realized, you know, for my brain, it probably works better if I just give myself two hours for personal growth um, and activities. But just getting up two to three hours before my actual workday starts, I, I found helps rev my brain up, lets me kind of play around with everything I want to play around with, and gives me some level of focus uh, for at least a few mm-hmm. hours and, and until we hit the lunch hour. The afternoon is just sort of like, all right, world, you, you can take over the schedule here. I, you know, What fires shall I put out for you today? Uh, but by going through that morning routine of just you know focus, you know, read a book, journal uh that's that's helped ground me and it'll it'll help me launch two to three hours of good productivity and and i just work hard and heavy it's like all right uh, and short tasks i think that's the other thing so i'll use a to-do list of things i know ne- i need to get done and then i just admit to myself i'm not going to get all this stuff done so what are the two or three things that'll be a win for the day and i can pat myself on the back and then everything else is just bonus points and and so from there i just launch into the now, the trick is I've got to do one thing at a time or I'm going to be like, oh, wow, the cat wants to play with a string with me. And then an hour is gone or uh, somebody comes in like when I had a corporate job, somebody walk in the office and ask a question and they probably just wanted a five minute answer. And 45 minutes later, we're like, all right, cool. Not only did you get your answer, but we like brainstormed three future projects. I feel great. And they're like, yeah, this is awesome. And then they leave and I realize. Oh, no, I needed to work on a report <laughs> for my <laughs> boss. Uh, and now I'm scrambling to get that information together. Or, um, you know, if I'm the boss, then I delegate it to somebody and see if they're willing to take it on or have the time to. And so, yeah, yeah, that's 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 a. I think I've gone off on a tangent already, too, because your question was, how do I podcast as a solo guy? And, and so you got a big taste of that. And then life before podcasting. Or before it, full-time podcasting. Anyways, you said your journal. Would you say that was one of the ways you keep yourself organized? Um, 
I don't know about keeping myself organized, but at least reminding myself of ideas and goals that I want to come back to. So as I revisit a journal entry from two or three years ago, it's like, oh, yeah, I did want to get that done. And if I think about it in that moment, I take action to put it on my calendar then I start taking steps towards whatever that thing was. So publishing my book, for example, um, Beyond the Rut, um, that had been a goal that I journaled about for years. You know, it, it was it was in the, the business plan for Beyond the Rut, the podcast. Uh, I'd written it in my journal that I want to publish a book by the end of the year, uh, a couple of years back. And I was just kind of flipping through a journal. And I was like, that book never got written. <laughs> like it never even got drafted or outlined and you know so let's let's take care of that so that was like 2019 I started drafting a book I did an outline but then it went back on the shelf I forgot about it I journaled about it like someday I want to write and publish a book and I, I came across the journal entry at the end of like 2021 going into 2022 and I realized I still have not published that book um and so then I just committed to 2022, it's going to get done. But of course, I was already like leaning towards forgetting again. Uh, and then that's when I ran into the guys at selfpublishing.com while I was at Podcast Movement in Dallas. And I was like, you know what? I'm definitely going to get this done if I pay somebody to hold me accountable. Uh, and it's if, if I pay for this help, I'm going to have two levels of accountability, selfpublishing.com and my wife. <laughs> and so <laughs> selfpublishing.com because that's what they get paid to do. Uh, but they're going to they're going to let me work at my own pace. My wife, however, is going to be like, "You invested how much?" All right. <laughs> what's Yeah, like what's your plan to earn that back? And it's like, "Okay, I got to I got to write and publish this book now because I need the book sales and just the book distribution to lead to the revenue that'll pay off that investment and, and uh, get the message out there." So yeah, so journaling has helped me come back to like goals and ideas that I had. And and a lot of the things I've added to this show, like rebranding the logo, um, creating batch processes, uh, time time blocking, you know, getting better at those things are things I've journaled about, like things that are going well for the podcast, things I would like to do better for the podcast. And then I'll see the journal entry like six months later or my notes from a podcast movement. I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to do that. Now, do you see a lot of yourself in your daughter? Oh, 100%. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, gosh, even at a young age, uh, she would, like, on vacation, make up homework for herself <laughs> and, and do the homework. And my wife would look at her and her brother, my, my son, would look at her like, she's weird. Like, who gives themselves homework? And they're saying this out loud. Emma, she's just going along doing her homework. And as they're making fun of her doing homework on, on a holiday, I'm like backing away like, uh, this is awkward. And then they turn around and look at me like, why are you backing away? I'm like, I used to do that too. Um, just, just call my mom and ask her and she'll, t she'll corroborate. And sure enough, uh, they'll, they'll ask my mom. And then she's like, yeah, he used to bust out workbooks and do homework on like, it wasn't even his actual textbooks. Like we'd go buy textbooks so he could do homework on the weekend. And, um, he was just weird like that. So there's that, um, she can't really sit still. She's always on the go, uh, activity based until she became a teenager. Uh, she was always on the go. Um, she was into some, you know, if there was anybody who was going to do anything nerdy or quirky, it was going to be her, uh, with me. So like, um, we got into uh, geocaching 
for oh, a while. Love and, that. That was yeah. fun. So my brother, uh, not my brother, my son, not so into it. My wife, definitely not into it. Uh, but Emma, like she would bring a clipboard, take notes. She'd want to hold the phone with the GPS on it. Uh, once we got to the location, she would say, now you go find it. So total <laughs> princess move there. Uh, and in, in a lot of ways, I was like her translator to my wife. So uh, if Emma was having a hard day and a bad communication day with my wife, uh, I would completely understand where Emma's coming from and explain to my wife, Olivia, this is what she's thinking. This is where she's coming from. This is um, this is what we need to do for her. And Olivia's like, no, that's not it. How would you know? I'm like, well, our brains are kind of wired the same way. And, and sure enough, Emma would hear this and go, that's exactly it. That's how I'm thinking. That's how I'm feeling. Just let me do this. And, um, you know, just it's really neat to see her in action. And, uh, you know, she strives to do her best in everything. She's always improving herself to be better than she was yesterday. Uh, and she always takes on a new hobby and she does it really well for like three to six months. And then she's like, all right, cool. I'm done. And she hangs it up. So uh, I still remember when she got into origami for like three months. When she was finally done with that phase, we emptied her room of, I think, 12 garbage bags full of origami items. We literally keep two or three. Um, and we were just like, we're bad parents. Like, <laughs> we let her make so much origami stuff that she literally had like a foot and a half to two feet of like an origami lake in her room that she didn't let us remove. Um so, yeah, I, I see so much of her in me. Uh, everything from the, the quirkiness, not being able to sit still, uh, always thinking about everything uh, and just just being nonstop. And, yeah, it's, that's her. That's me. That's called dope chasing the dopamine. I mean, you're yeah. constantly going after something that keeps you that keeps your mind active. And after a while you lose interest in something and you move on to the next. I mean, that's yeah. why we constantly go from one job to the other because we get bored of the job and we want something more. Yeah. Like even if you stay in the same company for a decade or two, the job itself has to change. Like the job duties mm -hmm. need to be mixed up. Um, a lot of the careers I've had that I've done really well in, uh, you know, the routine stuff, I would suck at. There are people who love, you know, following a report every Friday uh, or sending out a certain message every Monday. Uh, for me, it's projects. I love doing projects. And if you got me on a big project, that's my gig. That's my jam. Um, but I probably don't want to do the same kind of project over and over. Like, so I couldn't mm -hmm. be the kind of guy who comes in and does only one type of project finishes it goes on to another organization does the same exact thing that'll drive me nuts too but throw me on something where i get to solve a problem explore something grow and i'm all for it and uh yeah it, it's even even like in high school like i'm thinking back my friends love to just hang out in a room for hours and just shoot the breeze that was torture for me like Five minutes in, I'm like, I'm ready to jump out of a window, guys. And they're like, what? I'm like, I just, I, I want to go hiking. I want to go explore the neighborhood. I want to go roam around and, and see something new. And they're like, well, you got the car. Go. I'm like, but I want somebody to go with me. Oh, we just want to hang out here. And, and so my friends were always like that. And I was like, well, hmm, yeah. So, yeah, sitting around in a room and chilling 
is hard, but that's what my family loves to do. Well, my son and my daughter, my, my wife, um, they, they love to just hang out and relax. And I'm like, I don't understand. This doesn't compute for me. I, huh? What? So. What was it like dealing with your ADHD while you were traveling around? I mean, it must have been kind of strange because you were moving from country to country, city to city, and it must have been different, hard for you and your daughter. Um, well, I think for my daughter and I, because she, she, unlike me, um, got to live in the same house for 17 years. And so for her, uh, the change was always in the activities she's doing. Uh, for me growing up, though, and moving all the time, that, you know, it, like the first time we moved, I was a little scared and nervous because I'd never moved before, uh, or at least not that I remembered. But it was not until my dad settled down in Monterey, California or Marina, California, that I started to feel antsy. So like going into sixth grade and like, that's where we're going to live for the next eight years. And I was feeling antsy by middle school. Like, like this is it. Like I live in this apartment all the time and you know, we do the same things all the time and I'm just climbing the walls here. And, you know, fortunately the shift was going from eighth grade to ninth grade. So middle school to high school, it was like, Oh yeah, big change. Um, and so then I take up playing football and everybody's like, what football? You're little. I'm like, yeah, I am little. Uh, but it was just like football was new and you know, I gave it a shot for a year and then all of a sudden I'm playing JV football and then I'm trying out for varsity. Uh, but then I'm also like playing tuba. Like I had different activities going on. Um, but yeah, moving around though, it, I loved it. You know, it was, it was when I was staying still for so long, that's when I felt tortured, uh, moving around. I, I love doing that new neighborhood, new location, new, new cultures around me. All that is just, yeah. What did you call it? Dope in the dopamine? Chasing fix? the dopamine. Yeah. Chasing the dopamine. So yeah, moving around does exactly that for me. It's like, all right, cool. Pack everything up. In fact, get rid of everything. Let's just start all over. Like it, like that to me is like a great way to move. It's just get rid of everything. And when you get to your new place, kind of replenish it with like, you know, you're just kind of painting a new canvas in a way. And, uh, you know, it's, Yeah. I'm finishing all my, I'm just tapering off on all my thoughts here. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what was it like writing a book with ADHD? I mean, that had to be, that had to be murder on you. Oh, oh yes. Uh, because unlike a podcast, like what we're doing right now, I can, I can talk, I can answer, I can, you know, stream of consciousness, just speak what's on my mind. Uh, to write a book, it requires that discipline to sit down every day Um and, and people always said, you know, just sit down every morning and write 500 words. I'm like, well, that's easy for you to say. Me, I want to learn how to make a new omelet this morning. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just like there's some new thing. Like, I want to go on a ruck march, but I want to go that way. And, and then instead of doing it for 40 minutes and then get to writing, I want to I want to ruck for two hours. And uh, I want to read this book instead. It's really good. Or, you know, when the new Dune movie came out. I wanted to reread Dune. Uh, and so yeah. the challenge for writing a book, having ADHD, is actually writing the book. And mm -hmm. um, I think what helped me the most was when somebody told me that uh, Google Docs has a voice um, feature, so a voice-to-text feature uh, or speech-to-text. And, and once I discovered that, I realized, oh, 
there we go. Um, I could just have my outline, I could hit record, and now I'm talking. Boom. Uh, and it would give me a raw recording. So I was able to at least create, able to create a, a vomit draft. Like once I discovered that feature, I was able to create a vomit draft. So the real challenge became editing for the first time. Mm. Like before I sent it to my editor, I need to give it a once through and, and fix it up, clean it up, put it in the order I really want. That was hard. So what should have taken me about a week or two took me a month and a half because I would, I would read one paragraph and think, oh, that doesn't fit. And then that's it for the next two hours. I'm trying to fix one paragraph. Uh, and in the end, I realized, just delete it. <laughs> it doesn't work because it doesn't belong in the book. And, hmm. and you're trying to make it work and just let it go, delete it. And, but it would take me two hours to get there, to, to realize, just cut it out. You know, and, um, if it's worth having it in, your brain will pop it right back mm-hmm. in somewhere. So, um, yeah, editing, sitting down and doing the meticulous stuff with that book was the hardest thing. All right. Now we get to the, some of the fun questions. What motivates you, inspires you, and drives you? Oh, man. I would say the biggest thing that motivates me is... Um, you know, in the Christian space, we say it's breaking generational curses. Uh, for me, it's always just been kind of breaking the patterns of limiting beliefs within my family, my extended family, as as well as my own immediate family. And and so, the thing that energizes me and motivates me is that I wanted my kids to see that there was a world beyond what they grew up in. So, you know, when I was growing up, my extended family just felt that their lot in life was to be in poverty the rest of their lives. We're never going to go to school and do well. There's no point in getting a college degree because no one's going to hire us and I don't want to work for the man. So I'm just going to turn 18, collect disability insurance or welfare. And that's my life. And I'm going to live here with my grandmother for all my days. And I thought that is no way to live. I don't want to live like that. That's boring. Y'all just sit around and gripe about the world. And I'm looking at my friends over here and like, they're going on family trips and I've been on family trips with other families. There's a whole world out there. So the thing that motivates me is making sure that my kids know that there's a whole world out there to be seen, Mm -hmm. explored, and contributed to. And uh, that's why I have this podcast beyond the rut because I want them to never get stuck. And I know that, or I thought they never paid attention to me anyway while they were growing up because dad, you know, what does he know? Um, But I knew that they would get to an age, probably when it was too late for me to share my insights with them, where they would say, you know what? That did make sense. You know, dad in his 40s, has some wisdom I could pull from dad in his thirties even has some stuff I could listen to. So the show, the book, all this is in some weird, morbid way. I don't know if it's the army in me, but, um, it's, it's passing on like my thoughts, my insights, my experiences to my kids and my grandkids so that they could experience and get to know who I am even after I'm gone. So that's my big driver. Yeah. I mean, I know somewhat of that feeling. I mean, I went away to school for my master's in Europe and I wanted to come home right after my mom's like, no, you're out there travel. You yeah. never know when you're going to go back. Yeah. Where did you study? I went to the university of Kent in Canterbury, England. Oh, nice. And nice. then I spent six weeks, um, traveling across Europe. 
There you go. Yeah. Um, when I was in the Army, you know, most folks, they, they usually fight for a duty station close to their hometown. I was the opposite. My first three choices were Germany, Germany, Germany for outside yeah. the U.S., and my three choices for inside the U.S. were Germany, Germany, Germany. <laughs> so, uh, the recruiter looked at me and said, you really want to go to Germany, don't you? Uh, and I said, yes. Uh, one, because it's a familiar starting point for me because I was stationed there twice as a kid. So I want to see it as an adult and see the world from my dad's kind of from my dad's perspective. Um, but I also know it's a great starting point to visit the rest of Europe. And I'd love to mm -hmm. see as many of those countries as I can. Um, and sure enough. I got Germany. That was my first duty station. And it was kind of sad when my next duty station was at Fort Benning, Georgia. It was like, yeah. oh, I want to I want to stay out here. And they're like, well, you could. Um, but I also fell in love. My wife had just left the army and she was moving to Texas back to her hometown. And I thought, well, if I want her to live with me and stay with me, um, we probably need to be close to her family. So I, I went in and I took the, the assignment to Georgia proposed to my wife oh, well she was my girlfriend at the time and she became my wife and there we were Fort Benning Georgia um, in this little post called yeah Fort Benning and uh, it was it was a whole different country I'll tell you that <laughs> what's the best compliment you've ever received oh man um, it's so weird because I don't handle compliments really well. Uh, but I would say the first one I, I truly received and um, let it sink into me was uh, from one of my drill sergeants. So I was about 23 years old and he I was what they call the, the platoon guide. So I was a student leader. Um, so when the drill sergeants were around, my job was to make sure that the other 63 people in my platoon, plus myself, all 64 of us, we're ready for the drill sergeant to give us the next order of instruction. So he's briefing me, but he's also complimenting me on um, my leadership skills. And he says, you know, things like, you know, you're very intelligent. You know, you, you listen to what your people need. Uh, you're staying aware of the big picture and you're going to make a very good non-commissioned officer someday. And uh, ideally, like, I'd like to see you cross over and become an officer because I think you'd be a really good leader of people. Uh, you have people in mind and you're, you're going to take care of your people and get the mission done. And it wasn't like there was nothing that required him to say that. It just came out as encouragement. And as he's saying this, it's hitting me and I'm realizing no one has ever complimented me like that. Uh, just out of the blue, no ulterior motive. Like this guy is just genuinely telling me the good qualities he sees in me. And I started crying and, uh, and I couldn't hold it back. I, I was just crying. Uh, it was like this realization. Like, I'm having this whole, like, revelation in my head. This poor drill sergeant's looking at me like, why the hell is this guy crying? <laughs> and, uh, so he snaps me out of it. He's like, are you crying? Pull your stuff together. I was just giving you a compliment. You need to learn to, you know, hold that together. Um, but everything I said is true. You just need to not cry when you hear that. Now, whatever that is, you got to sort that out and learn to accept the compliment better and just say, thank you. I appreciate that very much. Um but I still remember that because I was the first genuine compliment, at least to me. Um, yeah, because growing up, I, I, you know, growing up, I just never really had anybody 
compliment me for my family. Like it was always a lot of, well, it must be nice you had this or, hey, Mr. College Boy, you know, you're not so smart after all. Uh, a lot of getting picked on by extended family. And, uh, you know, a lot of my, my friends, you, you didn't really have them stick around long enough to like pour into you that way. And um, so, yeah, that was I would say that's the, the best one that sticks out of my mind was the first time somebody genuinely complimented me for no reason. Very interesting. Um, what would you say your biggest failure is and what did you learn from that experience? Oh man. Um, there were, there were two. So the, the first one actually is, uh, right before we went into uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom. So, you know, I'm, I'm the medic, and the the artillery unit I was in took care of the medic. You know, you, you do your job, you, you rest all the time you need because we need you fresh when it's time to go and, and treat people. Well, my battalion surgeon shows up one day, and he wants to assess, like, how good is Sergeant Dugan? You know, is he ready to do this? We're about to go to war and I need him to be like ready and humbled uh, as well. And I know that he's, he's a bit confident in his skills. So he gives me a scenario that he's like, Hey, see that armor carrier right there that um, the cat. I was like, yeah. All right. Well, they just got hit by an artillery round or a tank round. Some people are alive. Some people are dead. Uh, but I need you to get in there and take care of the scene. And so I immediately rush in and, you know, it, it turns out like while I'm in there in that vehicle, I could have had people setting up a home V to prepare for transport. And I didn't do that. So he's picking on me about that. Um, it's time to like start evacuating the, the living folks out of the vehicle. And he's like, well, you want to drag them out of this hatch here? Well, that hatch is blocked. You need to go through the top of the vehicle. And I realized I can't pick these people up. I'm like five foot four and I weigh 165 pounds. And these guys are like six, one and 200 to 300 pounds. And I'm finding myself finally not able to lift or drag anybody for the first time in my career. And I'm like, how do I do that? How do I lift a guy four feet, five feet up in the air? Um, and so I had to get creative and I, I, even then it didn't work. So I wound up having to ask people to get on the vehicle and help me drag people out. And, uh, it was just, it was a humbling experience because in the end we all determined Dugan saved nobody. (laughs) (laughs) All five people in that crew died. Even the ones who were alive when he got there, uh, because it took too long for him to assess and move them out. And the way he moved them out of the vehicle wound up paralyzing them and they couldn't breathe and they died. Uh, plus on top of that, the vehicle wasn't converted in time. And so you couldn't transport them. And, uh, he also didn't know where to take them once he had them all out of the vehicle. And I was like, Oh man. And it was just, it just hit me like, in a few days, you know, no one else has accepted this, but in a few days, we're going to cross a minefield and this is going to be real the next time. And I already know I can't pick up these guys, you know, except for these little ones. Um, and so I need to think of a plan here and I, um, I need to know where the, the LZs are, the landing zones are. I need to know where the aid station is at all times. I need to know who my combat lifesavers are that I trained so I can leverage them for help. Um, And it was a wake-up call for our platoon leader and platoon sergeant because they also realized we got to help Doc. Like, you know, it's not just Doc on his own handing out chapsticks and foot powder. Like, Doc needs a whole team of people 
to do anything that's mass casualty. And so it was it was just a good wake up call. It put us all on the top of our game. Fortunately, that never happened to us. And and the worst that happened was somebody like bumped their head and needed stitches, and another guy dropped an artillery round on his hand and broke his thumb. Um, and so other than that, though, we didn't have a mass casualty where we had to lift people up and, and uh, you know, get creative with how to take care of them. So that would be the first failure. It was in training, so that was good. Um, the second one would probably be with, like, a, a real estate transaction. I was dealing with another agent who was desperate. I was – I mean, I was also desperate. We weren't making money at the time, and um, it was around the time when the, the market had crashed in 07, and – in the desperation with this other agent, this other agent, you know, did a bunch of things that were not kosher, that were not legal or ethical. Like she made a copy of the house key to give to her client. Um, so when the deal fell through, her client had moved into this house and it wasn't even her house yet. And she wasn't leaving. And on top of that, uh, it turns out my clients were doing some some shady stuff. Like they didn't actually own the house. They had a power of attorney, um, but they didn't include like all the siblings. So it was like mom's house, basically. And so they wound up doing something shady. Um, Mom died. She passed away from natural causes. She was older. Uh, And that was when all the truth came out. And so the failure was I didn't do my due diligence. I didn't really find out like how much of the family is involved. Um, Is the whole family on board with the sale of this house? Uh, No, Miss Other Agent, you cannot make a copy of the key. You've been in the business longer than me. Shame on you for thinking we can do this. And it it created a nightmare um, for everybody. And if I just took the time to ask a few questions to protect everybody, it would have been avoided. So um, I do that now. I, I still trust people, but mm-hmm. I'll ask a few extra questions just to protect everybody involved. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's helped me ever since. So there you go, you got two. <laughs> All right. Tell me about three and inf- tell me about three influential people in your life and how they impacted you. Yeah, I'll start with my dad um, because I lived with him through most of my life, or at least for all my childhood. Uh, very nice guy, gentle giant. You know, he's like 5'10", so giant to me, and uh, or 5'8", whatever his height is. And uh, he's the kind of guy that, he doesn't know how to express himself socially, but he is the kind of guy that will give you the shirt off his back, the last $20 in his pocket, if you're hungry, if you're cold. So learning about like sacrificial love, just caring for other people as people, I learned that from him. Uh, how, to, how to protect people's dignity. You know, uh, you know, I, when I was growing up, it was a big deal for guys to, you know, go have sex and then brag about it at the detriment of the girl because, uh, you know, double standards and all. And my dad said, you know, it's one thing to build up your status, but don't ever do it at the expense of somebody else. And I will always respect you for taking the high road. I don't care if these other guys make fun of you. Um, but if you were to, like, go out and do what they do. I would I would lose respect for you and other people would too. So don't ever try to gain respect by taking away somebody else's respect and dignity. And I was like, okay, cool. So that's that's number one, hands down. Um another one was that drill sergeant I told you about. You know, he just he would always snap me out of my my funk, my moments of self pity, drill sergeant of brew. Um, you know, just I remember I, I climbed an obstacle once and I just took a moment to kind of reflect up there. And he's like, what's going on? I'm like, I'm just enjoying the moment, Joel Sargent. And he's like, 
get off the obstacle. <laughs> like, <laughs> everybody's doing this. How do you think I got up here? We're the same height. Get off the obstacle. That wasn't special. You graduating is special. Uh, but yeah, get down. Uh, or like if, you know, when I was feeling sorry for myself, he's like, snap out of it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Um, you know, just go out and do get it done. Uh, very influential. It, it just, it emboldened me in a lot of ways. And then, um, gosh, you know, Jared Easley is another one from podcast movement. Uh, he's been a good friend of mine for gosh, almost a decade now. Um, off and on every time I run into him, I feel like we've, we're best buds. And, uh, you know, he's always giving me that word of encouragement and, you know, it's, it's true to his show's name. He has a podcast called Starve the Doubts. And whenever I start to doubt myself, he comes out of the woodwork and he just has a word of encouragement for me or says, hey, go after this. I, I think you can you can get it. And uh, and he's shared with me on the flip side. I've encouraged him when he was ready to quit his podcast. And um, so it's just that, that human side of podcasting and just putting your information out there, your content, your insights out there and um, starving any doubts you may have about how people are going to receive it. It's going to help somebody. Yeah. Those are my three. What makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Ah, man. Uh, the, the thing that makes me feel my best self the most is how my family responds to me. Um, so just, looking at them interact with each other and see that like my son and daughter treat each other like best friends, but they also treat each other like siblings. Like they argue and all that, uh, but they get along so well. And uh, seeing that my, my wife gets to live out her dream of being a mother and stay connected with our kids that they, they talk to her every day and that, that inspires me in the sense of, ah, good. What I was trying to achieve in life is happening right there in front of me. And I love that. All right. Finish the sentence. I'm at my best when I'm at my best when I get to explore and learn new things and meet new people. All right. If you can turn back time and talk to your 18 year old self, what would you tell him about where you are now? Oh, man. Um, this would cause a paradox, I'm sure. But I would tell him, you really don't want to be a doctor. Uh, here's where your passions wound up being it turns out in three years when you talk to your uh, faculty advisor and he recommends education or training listen to him don't tell him those who can't teach um, because that's arrogant but um that, that would be it, is realizing that being a doctor, that was my mom's dream. It wasn't my dream. I was a pre-med student. Um, and so if I could do it all over again, I'd probably study something like organizational development or, uh, you know, corporate training, instructional design, those kinds of things sooner. But by doing that, I would not have joined the army. I would not have met mm -hmm. my wife and I would not have my wonderful kids. So it's like, yeah, Jerry had to have that stupid moment and pay that stupid tax <laughs> to have the life he's enjoying right now. Um, but that would be the message to 18 year old myself, you know, self uh, is the dream you're pursuing isn't yours. Figure out what your dream is. And the sooner you can figure that out, the sooner you're going to be living your truest life, your truest self. I mean, that's a really good advice because you see a lot of kids these days going after a dream and it's not their own. 
It's exactly. their parents pushing it on them, saying, I was this, I want you to be the same. And these kids don't know what they want until they explore. Yes. Yeah. Um, ex-boyfriend of my daughter's, um, he's a sophomore in college and his parents told him, you're going to be a doctor. His dad actually specifically said, you're going to be a doctor. You're going to go through this program specifically at this school. And then you're going to go to this school and apply for these other schools. You're going to be a doctor. And the reality is that kid does not want to be a doctor. And, and it probably resonates with me so much because my mom wanted me to be a doctor so badly that I actually was a pre-med student for four years, got a 2.1 GPA, which meant I was not going to med school. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and this poor kid is following in that same path. He's gifted as an artist. I've seen his work as an artist. And I think if he could learn the entrepreneurship around how to be a professional artist and earn income off of that, he would be his happiest, truest self. So it's, yeah, that kind of thing. All right. If you can have a billboard with anything on it, what would you put and why? Ah, uh, I would put on there, life is too short to live stuck in a rut. And <laughs> uh, that's my motto on the show because life is too short. You know, I, I, have met so many people in my life that hold themselves back for the sense of perceived safety. And in the process, they become bitter because they see other people going out and achieving their dreams and they just wish they got that too, or, you know, it must be nice. They got that break. And it's like, all you had to do is put yourself out there and, you know, keep growing, keep becoming a better version of you. And in the process, you're going to land somewhere and you're going to love it. And, um, you know, and just instead we choose to be in that rut and we choose to play it safe and, you know, we get towards the end of our life and we realize, wow, I missed all those opportunities. And, we, and then by thinking that way, we, we miss out on that realization that we still have opportunities in front of us. So realizing that life is short, life is delicate. It's not worth wasting that time being stuck in a rut. All right. What what do you think the world will look like in five years? Oh boy, um, we got one of two ways to go. <laughs> um, on the more positive side, I see a lot of the rift happening in our country going away. Uh, more of the middle ground coming forward, saying, "All right, uh, the extreme right, the extreme left, you've had your chance to play. It's nearly ripped us apart. This is ridiculous. Let's." Let's calm down. And I, I'll see more. I see in, in the U.S. more collaboration, um, more of a return to the center in a sense, while still pushing, you know, what it means to be an American. And uh, uh, yeah, just closer ties, re regain ties with the rest of the world. Um, the world is still going to advance. People are still going to improve things. People are still going to. Um, invent new processes and software to make life better for ourselves. Uh, so that's one direction I see us going in. And if nothing changes uh, well, from what we're doing now, um, we'll just be on the brink some more. You know, the, the media will keep selling what sensationalizes and, and sells ads for them. And, uh, you know, Russia will, that'll be interesting. <laughs> I guess in the next year or two, uh, Russia is going to be very interesting. And uh, there's a lot going on globally that's that's worth watching um, and, and holding our breaths to see what happens. But uh, again, 
Yeah. No, no reason to pause on life and, and wait to see how other people decide, you know, their fates. So. All right. Uh, what was your favorite subject in school? Oh boy. Um, the Asian answer would be math. <laughs> That's what I would tell people. Uh, I think the honest answer was history. I am a big history buff. Uh, I never got less than an A in history uh, until I got to college and I got an A minus. And I, I learned later on because of like the the Clifton Strengths Finder assessment, mm-hmm. uh, or is it Gallup? I think Gallup bought Clifton Strength Finder. Anyway, context is my number one strength. So I love looking at historical events and making sense out of it and even using historical events to kind of predict what's going to happen in the future. So, yeah, I love history. History. History is my friend. All right. Would you consider yourself an introvert, an extrovert, or an ambivert? Um, from what I understand, I lean more extrovert than anything else. Um But people have noticed, like, socially, I do have some introvert tendencies. So, like... Some of the activities I love doing, backpacking, you know, but I don't want to go backpacking with a bunch of people. I want to go backpack by myself. And uh, so that that tends to throw people off. Like, you know, Mr. Let's take everybody with you wherever you go. There, there are times where I, I do want to just go off and be on my own. Um, so, but I, I do lean more extroverted than anything. All right. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be and why? Um with my family that I was there, I was present, I was loving and with everybody else that I inspired them to be a better version of themselves. All right. Why don't you tell me a little bit about where you are now in life? Ah, uh, so at the time we're recording this, I am, let's see, it's, it's March, 2023. I left my corporate job about six months ago and it was a job where I was doing well. I was getting paid well. I was on this track to be a chief learning officer somewhere. And I gave that up because I wanted to pursue a sense of freedom. I wanted to uh, you know, be able to, to leverage my creativity, get that book out there, be on the rut. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I'm six months in. I'm promoting the book. I'm promoting the podcast. I'm growing a business called BTR Impact that helps organizations learn uh, about servant leadership and apply those concepts to their leadership style. And uh, it's it's fun and it's scary at the same time. So self-employed with a new business, BTR Impact, and just full-time podcasting and guesting and connecting with people. Uh, a lot of the things I did not get to do as much of when I was working for one company at a time. Now I get to work for multiple organizations across the globe. All right. Now we're at the part of the show which is a little bit more fun and a little bit more different that everyone always loves to hear. What is your favorite word? Oh man, I would say moist and only because it is one of the words my daughter hates. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I like to see her roll her eyes and get annoyed. Um, I, yeah, uh, that, that would be, I don't know why it just it, that word annoys enough people that I've made it my favorite word. It just what just enough your, sand in the gears yeah. to annoy people, I guess. What is your least favorite word? Oh man, uh, I can't. So more of a phrase. I can't. Yep. Yeah. And what turns you on creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? 
Oh man. Uh, from a spiritual perspective, just knowing that, you know, from a Christian background that no matter what I've done in life, I'm forgiven. And no matter what anybody else has done in life, they're also forgiven if they want to receive that. Um, so that charges me like crazy. It just, it's not just I'm special. Like we're all in some way, shape or form special and loved by a, a creator out there. Um, so it's not an exclusive thing, but an inclusive thing. And and understanding that, um, allowing everybody else a chance to shine, a chance to bring out their best gets me fired up. And, you know, it, it's, again, just that tie in with beyond the rut. You know, it's like living a meaningful life, a worthwhile life for yourself, knowing that we're all entitled, not, not entitled to that, but we all have that opportunity. And I love to see people go after it and say, yeah, yeah, I'm drawing my line in the sand. I'm going for it. So that inspires me like crazy. All right. What turns you off? Uh, again, people who quit quit on themselves, quit on the people around them. Um, you know, there's a difference between I need to take a break and get back into this and just flat out. I quit. It's to me. Quitting is selfish. It's letting people down. It's, it diminishes trust in a lot of ways. Um, and, and a lot of people who tend to quit, just do it in a way that leaves everybody in the lurch and there's a way to exit. Mm -hmm. Um, and do so in a way that helps everybody still continue with what they need, but to just straight up quit on people um, and quit on yourself, especially that, that just shuts me down. It's like, eh, I can't help you then. Right. What is your favorite cuss word? <laughs> oh man, I can't say it, uh, but it, it comes from the army and it's fucked hard. Um, right. And uh, what, what sound or noise do you love? Oh, man. Um, I like the sound of a babbling brook. And, you know, the, again, camping. Uh, if I could set up next to a creek or a river, I'm doing it. What, is, what sound or noise do you hate? My dog whining. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, he's, he's got this weird like chimpanzee whimper he does when he sees another dog. And it's mm. his way of calling to that dog to come be his friend. And then once the dog is over there, it's all riled up because this other dog, my dog, has been barking at him or whining and chirping at him. And uh, it, it's it's annoying in the sense of it, it doesn't help us make friends. <laughs> all right. What's your favorite color? Uh, blue. What's your least favorite color? Oh, boy. Um, fuchsia. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Oh, boy. Um, you know, actually, this is what my wife and I refer to as our retirement plan. I want to work for Disney World, Walt Disney <laughs> World, but I want to be the guy that picks up the gum off the ground. That is the job I want. I want to be outdoors. I want to be interacting with people. And when somebody sneaks gum into the place and spits it out, I want to be there to scoop it up, throw it away. But that's not the reason I want to do that job. I want to do that job because if there's a kid who drops an ice cream, I want to get that child another ice cream and, and brighten their day. So, yeah. What profession would you not like to do? Cleaning sewers. Yeah. All right. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? 
<laughs> Welcome. I think that'd be the word I want to hear. Um, yeah, that, that'd be the word. Welcome. Come on in. <laughs> when you arrive in heaven, who would you like to meet? Oh, boy. I mean, essentially, I'll have eternity, but... Um, I definitely want to meet Jesus. Um, I want to meet, I don't know if Adam will be there, but I'd be like, dude, you know, we had to go through all this because of you. <laughs> uh, so I'd like to meet all my heroes from the Bible, but, uh, you know, just kind of just, it's me, extroverted me. I'll probably want to meet everybody up there and I'll have eternity to do it. All right. What books do you recommend my audience read besides your own? Oh, man. Uh, well, there is that. No, okay, no. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorites is The Happiness Advantage. And that's because if you've gone through a hard life, that one gives you the aha moment why it's so important to embrace happiness first and then find success out of that as a byproduct. So that's probably the one book. And then the second one, tied for second, I don't know, something like that is um, how to how to Make Friends how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. All right. And finally, where can people find out more about you on the web? Ah, uh, best place to go is beyond the That is where the podcast sits, uh, information about my book, um, social media links, all that stuff beyond the rut.com. And that's it folks. That was Jerry Dugan from beyond the rut. I'll see you in the next one. While the sky burned Getting high off of the fumes Feeling like the bombs Outside of flowers Me and you stay Watching through the glass As the moon came Bodies holding hands Feeling truly Like our lives are movies I swear we saw the dream No need to be afraid I love the way we see the world Ooh, yeah. I just wanna yeah. yeah, I love the way we see the world yeah. I just wanna agree. I love the way we see the world Right there Staring at the sun We spent our nightmares Falling in love I know you feel this Can't tell us I love the way we see the world Ooh, yeah. I just wanna dream yeah. yeah, I love the way we see the world Yeah, I just wanna agree I love the way we see the world I swear we saw the dream No need to be afraid Someday we'll fall asleep And won't recall a thing Some believe there's no escape Like pain's closer but I just don't agree, I love the way you see the world.